Good morning again. Please open your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7. Today we begin a new series. This will be a three-week series in the book of Romans, and it's titled, The Struggle, Fighting the Battle Within. Today's message will be taken from verses 4 through 6 in Romans chapter 7. Last week, we took care of some family business up in Fort Wayne, and it's a three-hour drive directly north of here, and it's an interesting drive, to say the least. You go 20 miles, there's a subway, a McDonald's, a gas station, and then nothing. And then another 20 miles, a subway, McDonald's, gas station, nothing, all the way up to Fort Wayne. But you know what's interesting about that drive? Is for us out of Cedar Grove, it was basically one road. You get on 52, make the turn on 101, one road. And there's only one road to Jesus Christ, and that is through Jesus. That is the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus makes us this promise that there's one truth. I am the truth, and the road comes through me and nobody else. And you know, one day there's going to be another road, and it's going to be in heaven. And you and I are going to hold hands, walk in that street of gold. Just like on the way to Fort Wayne there, we're going to be strolling hand in hand on that one road. You know, Jesus does give eternal life to all who trust in Him. But in this life, there is still a struggle that takes place within the believer. Although we have victory over sin, and our sin has been forgiven of us, we still have the ability to sin. We struggle with sin, and a big reason we struggle with sin is because we allow things to come between us and our relationship with God. That's why sin becomes still a struggle for us. For the church of Rome, here that Paul is writing to, he is writing to the Christian church at Rome. He says, one of those struggles that they have is with the law. They had a fascination with the Old Testament law of Moses. This became an issue in the church because of the large population of Jewish converts that they had. They call them Jewish proselytes. They were Gentiles, non-Jews, who converted to Judaism and then became Christians. And what they were doing is they were taking elements of the Jewish Old Testament law and mixing them with Christianity. And it was causing great confusion in the church and it was putting an unnecessary burden upon the church. They were mixing elements of Judaism and Christianity. And you see that today in religion. Mixing of beliefs. You mix it together and voila, you've got a new recipe. And Paul wrote to the church and he said, I beg you not to do this. Don't mix the Jewish Old Testament law with Christianity. You have been freed from the law. You have been released from the law. And you have been united to Christ. And that brings me to our principle and application for today. There on your note sheet, our principle is believers are united to Christ. Therefore, we are responsible to protect our relationship with God and not allow anything to come between us and Him. 
Now, in order to give an accurate picture of what was happening at the time of Paul's writing, we have to understand some terms. We need to understand what the law is. You hear that word law, the law of God. And you might be thinking, well, what does that mean? Well, in the simplest terms, it can mean the Old Testament law that was given to the Israelites during the Exodus when they left the land of Egypt and were heading into the Promised Land. It could also refer to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments could be called the law of God. Now, the law was given because the people had rampant sinful behavior. So God gave the law to act as a guide and a way to teach them how to live among each other in love and how to behave in a relationship towards God, to love people and to love God. That was the intent of the law. Now, what the law does not do is provide salvation. The law does not provide salvation. You cannot keep the Ten Commandments and be saved by them. Why? Because you can't keep the Ten Commandments. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fall short the glory of God. Even if you've broken just one of those commands, the Bible says if you've broken just one, you are guilty of all. So the law cannot save any of us. The law also cannot justify any of us. We cannot be justified or made righteous in the eyes of God through the keeping of the Ten Commandments. We are only justified through our relationship and our faith in Jesus Christ. When we pronounce faith in Christ, God then looks at us the way that He looks at Jesus. We also can't be sanctified through the law. We cannot grow in Christian maturity and spiritual maturity by keeping the law. Why? Because we have failed to keep the law in the first place. The law is no good to us. It doesn't give us any benefit at all. We grow in our relationship with Christ through our closeness with Christ, through a relationship with Christ. By depending and leaning more heavily upon Christ. So that is very important for us to know as we understand what Paul was doing here and what he was writing to the Romans at this time. We have to understand that they were, uh, had a large Jewish population of converts to Christianity. And so what their thinking might have been as they were telling other Christians who were saved by faith, no, 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 not only do you need faith in Christ, but you also need to keep these elements of the Jewish law. You need to keep these commands. You need to keep these dietary restrictions. Oh, your males need to be circumcised. And so this brought great confusion within the church. And Paul puts out a letter to the Romans and he says, no, this is not what Christ came to do. Christ came to free you from these things. Christ came to set you free. Christ came to release you. You know, much of their struggle was due to their misunderstanding of their relationship to the law and their relationship with God. They, in essence, were looking at the law as their God. And so what they were doing is worshiping themselves. Because think about it, when you have the law, you have essentially a checklist. I have these rules that I'm going to follow, and that's what sin nature does. We like rules. We like things to follow. We like checklists. 
The idea of floating around in a free relationship and love with someone is foreign to a sinful nature. We want that tablet of stone, by golly. We want to know what it is we have to do so that we can check the boxes and do it. And so by doing that, we feel good about ourselves and it can be a sense of pride, a source of pride, and therefore a source of sin. So their relationship to the law was misunderstood and their relationship with God was misunderstood. And Paul says, the law, you are released from it. Believers are released from the law. Look what it says there in verse 6, Romans chapter 7. In your Bible there, verse 6, it says, But now we have been released from the law. Released from the law. Nutty Putty Caves. That's out in Utah. I said Nutty Putty, not Nutty Buddy. Some of you got real excited there when I said Nutty Buddy. Nutty Putty Caves. It's out in Utah, and it's known. It's a very popular place for cavers to go that like to crawl through tight spaces. Uh, it's very popular out there, and it's known for having very narrow passages to crawl through. And so many rescue missions have taken place in the Nutty Putty Caves because people get stuck in those narrow passages trying to crawl through them. But the feeling of being freed and released from your entrapment in a cave can only be jubilant and overwhelming, I would suspect, to those who get stuck inside the caves. And so a great feeling of relief can be had. However, it's not always that way. Back in 2009, there was an unfortunate accident that led to the closing of the Nutty Putty Caves in Arizona or in Utah. A young man uh, was seeking out a narrow passage that was referred to as the birth canal. And as he was crawling through the narrow crevices and passages of the caves, he found himself stuck in a 10 by 18 opening. Not only was he stuck, but he was stuck upside down. And so rescue workers frantically worked to try and save him and to spare him. But all of their efforts were too little too late. Tragically, he died stuck in the narrow passages of those caves. And so they decided to close those caves down. They imploded them and they've been closed to this day. You know, the law of God is like those narrow passages and those crevices of the caves. They are not meant for us to crawl through. The intent of the law, the narrow passages of the law, was not for us to try and squeeze ourselves into. The intent of the law was for us to look at it and to say, that is too narrow, it is too tight, I cannot get to God by crawling through this passage. There has got to be another way to God. Because the passages and crevices of the law will certainly trap us if we decide to make that our way of life. You look at the commandments and you say to yourself, well, I'm going to keep those. And you're opening yourself up to an entrapment because you can't keep those. You can't 
keep God's standard of perfection. God, in His creation, has created things all around this universe for us to marvel and to look at and to say, you know what? That is too big. That is too small for me. So that we can understand our limitations. And that's what the law of God does. It's like looking in a mirror and it reflects back at us and it tells us what our limitations are. We cannot live up to God's perfect standard. And the law tells us that. It says, this is too narrow for you to crawl through. Paul puts this point across to the Roman church. And he reminds them that you don't have to try and crawl through these narrow crevices and passages. You have been released from this burden. In fact, he goes one step further. He says, not only have you been released from the law, but you have died to the law. You have died to the law. Let's go to verse 4 in chapter 7. Look what it says there. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law. How have we died to the law? He says it right there. Through the body of Christ. We have died to the law through the body of Christ. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life and he perfectly fulfilled the law. Listen to what the scriptures have to say. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. You see that? He made him who knew no sin. Jesus lived a sinless life. Matthew 5.17 says this, Do not think, this is Jesus speaking, Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but I came to fulfill. What Jesus is saying there, He's saying, you remember all the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah? I have come to fulfill those prophecies. You remember what the Old Testament says about the law? I have come and I have fulfilled that law. What he's saying is he has perfectly kept all of the Jewish law. He has perfectly kept all of those commands. This is a very important point. Because we just got done explaining that you and I cannot keep the law. It's too narrow for us. We can't squeeze through those narrow passages. We fail at every point. But Jesus Christ came and He perfectly kept the law. Now you and I, we just partook in one of the church ordinances called the Lord's Supper or Communion. That wafer of bread that you ate was unleavened. The reason it's unleavened is because many times throughout the Bible, leaven represents sin. The body of Jesus was sinless. Therefore, we eat unleavened bread, which represents the body, the sinless body of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and perfectly fulfilled the law. Jesus willingly went to the cross not only to take the punishment of our sins, but He took our place in the law. You and I could not keep it. You and I could not fulfill it. Jesus Christ 
did. He actually kept it and fulfilled it in his body, his sinless body. He perfectly kept God's perfect standard. That's what the law represents, the perfect standard of God. And Jesus, and Jesus alone, keeps that perfect standard of God because Jesus is perfect. He is without sin. He is without blemish. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. And he is holy to be revered and adored by all. Jesus perfectly kept the law. When a human being confesses faith in Jesus Christ and surrenders to Him as Lord, the life and person that we were dies. And the life that we now live is in Christ and for Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, having perfectly fulfilled the law, the law died with him. That's why Paul can say, you have died to the law through his body. Jesus not only took your place on the cross for your sins, but he took your place on the cross for the law, the law that you could not fulfill, the things that you could not do, the testimonies you could not keep. Jesus took that upon himself. He said, I have come, I have fulfilled the law, I have kept God's perfect standard, and therefore I will go to the cross and I will take your place so that when God looks at you, he looks at someone who has kept the law. You, my friends, as believers in Jesus Christ, perfectly fulfill God's law through faith. Through your faith in Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' righteousness that is imputed upon you. What that word means is given to you. You are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Christianity is a very humbling, humbling thing. It forces us to be very honest about ourselves and acknowledge our need for Jesus Christ, our need for redemption, our need for salvation, our need for cleanliness, our need for reconciliation, our need for a right relationship with God. All things that you and I cannot do on our own, things that only God can do through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus is the one to be worshipped, never us. That's why humility is such a big part of the Christian faith. The law, when it was given to Moses, there on Mount Sinai, it was given on tablets of stone. When Jesus Christ took our place in the law and died, and we died to the law through His body, that law was transferred from tablets of stone to tablets of flesh. The law is now written on human hearts. You and I know instinctively through the Spirit of God what that law is because it teaches us how to love people and to love God. It teaches us, do not lie, that's how you love your neighbor. Do not murder, that's how you love your neighbor. Do not commit adultery, that's how you love your neighbor. Do not covet, that's how you love your neighbor. Keep God first. That's how you love God. 
Do not use the Lord's name in vain. That's how you love God. Remember the Sabbath. Remember to keep the day, a day holy for Him. That's how you love God. These things are written on your heart. And the Holy Spirit provides the conviction that is necessary to know when you're getting off track. He'll say, you're starting to try and fit through a passage that you just can't quite squeeze through. Time to step back. Time to reassess this narrow passage, this crevice in this cave, and to say, can I fit through that? And a lot of times the answer will be no. And it's time to back off and it's time to let God do His work in your life. The best way to let God work in your life is to be still and to wait. <laughs> Tough. And to know He is God. Christianity is the faith of waiting a lot of times. One of the great disciplines. Yes, we have a commission to go and to share the gospel and to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and to teach people about Jesus Christ and His disciplines of the faith. But before we can be equipped to do that, we have to learn how to wait and how to be still. For the voice of God speaks in those quiet moments when we're still and ready to listen. So what does that mean for you today? It means this, acknowledge your need for Jesus, that you cannot achieve on your own merit the standard of perfection required to get into heaven. You need Jesus. You need to bring Him into your life and embrace Him as the one and only true and living God. How do you do that? With a sincere, broken, and contrite heart, you can invite Jesus Christ into your life. As it sounds, dear Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. You may think that sounds just too easy, Nick, for a change to happen. No, that's where it begins. It begins with a humble heart. It begins with surrender. It begins with acknowledgement. I need Jesus. Jesus, come in to my life. Save this brokenness. Fix this helpless situation. And it all starts with our heart. And that's why Jesus Christ can change a heart. That's why Jesus Christ changes lives. That's why people who used to do the things that they did don't do them anymore because they were changed by Jesus. Who's your hero? Jesus Christ. Why? Because He changed your heart. If we were to go around and they were to ask, who's your, who's your hero? You wouldn't say Spider-Man. You wouldn't say Superman. You would say Jesus. Jesus for what He has done. Jesus for the gift He has brought in my life. I can look back on my life and we can see the movement of God in our lives. His presence in our lives. 
holding us every step of the way, even in the moments when it felt like he wasn't there. He was there the whole time, never leaving, never forsaking you. Every step of the way. So Paul puts this point on him. He says, you have been released of the law. You're no longer subject to it. You're no longer a slave to it. It's no longer a burden that you need to carry. It's something that you can shed off your back. You have freedom from it. Why? Because it's written on your heart and you have faith in Jesus Christ. And now what I want you to work on is I want you to work on this relationship with Christ. And you're saying, well, how do I do that? How do I work on a relationship with Christ? Well, how do you work on a human relationship? You have to spend time, right? How do you spend time with God? In His Word. That's what reveals God to us, the Word. We draw closer and closer to God. And that's what Paul says here. That's the second point he makes is that believers have been joined to Christ. Look at verse 4 again there in chapter 7, what it says. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you may be joined to another. Hmm, I wonder who he's talking about there. Oh, he gives the answer to him. Who's him? Jesus and if we didn't know who him was, he gives us another clue. Look what it says right after him. Who was raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. Who was raised from the dead? Jesus. Who took our place on the cross? Jesus. Who took our place in the law? Jesus. How are your sins forgiven and washed away? Jesus. Paul makes this point. He says, you have been joined to Christ. Right at the very beginning in verses 1 through 3, he gives this illustration of a marriage. And he says, a woman who is married to a man, her husband, who has died, is no longer joined to him, but she has been released. And she is free to marry another. Now, what does that mean? What he's saying is this, in the past, you married to the law. What I'm telling you now is the law is dead. You have died to the law. It's no longer a thing for you. You are now free to join yourself to another. And that other is Jesus Christ, who perfectly fulfilled the law. Beautiful illustration that Paul gives there. And I'll take this one step further. When we come to Jesus Christ in faith, we are given what is known as His Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence inside of us, in our lives, and dwells with us. God gives us that Spirit as a symbol, as a pledge, as a seal, a token. And what he is saying is that I have written my name on your heart. I have taken you and you belong to me based upon your faith in Christ. You now belong to God. And he is saying this, I don't leave. I won't leave. That illustration Paul gave 
about a, a man dying or perhaps a man walking away from his wife, that doesn't happen with God. God stays. God sticks. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When Jesus gave the great commission in Matthew 28, he said, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. He is always there. He does not leave. His Holy Spirit is a token of his pledge. You are sealed to the day of redemption. You are mine. You know, eternal security is one of the great doctrines that we have. It tells us that once we belong to God as children of God, we can never fall away from Him. We cannot lose our salvation. Why? Because you didn't do anything to earn it, therefore you can't do anything to lose it. It was a gift given to you by the grace of God. Could you imagine living that way? And there are many denominations and, and religions that teach this. Oh, am I saved? Am I saved? I just don't know. Am I saved? I don't know. Oh, I did this thing. I don't know if I'm saved. Could you imagine that battle going on within you all the time? I, I, I was saved and then I got lost again. And now I have to get saved again. Oh, I, I sinned, so now I'm lost again. I'm going to hell. Oh, I have to get saved again and go to heaven so I can go to heaven. Can you imagine the conflict? Can you imagine the doubt and a concern that would be in someone's heart? God is not like that. He is not a God of confusion and chaos. When He says you're mine, by golly, He means it. You are mine. You belong to me. I have given you my spirit. It is with you and in you to stay and it will never be taken away. You know what that means? That means your relationship with God has changed. No longer are you on the outside looking in, but now you're a child of God. What does a, a father do with its child? It for, he forgives them. A good father forgives and he leads them. So when you mess up as a child of God, you go to the father, you seek forgiveness, and the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive. You never stop being a child of God once you become one. Can I make that any more clear? I don't think I can, so please, I hope that resonates. We are united to Christ. And if that wasn't enough, he says one day in the heavenlies, you're going to be with me and participate in this wonderful ceremony called the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says, we're going to make this real official. I'm going to join the church to me. And there we will be forever and ever in a place of glory, free from all of this riffraff that we're in now free from sin, free from death, free from sickness, free from all the turmoil, free from the injustices. All we're going to have is bliss, a time of, of, of wonderful appreciation for each other, unity and camaraderie like we've never witnessed or known before, and it's going to be together with Jesus Christ. You and I, you and I, the church of God. Very interesting here what Paul says. He says, You have been released from the law so that you could be joined to Jesus. And I'm finishing up verse 4 here. In order that we might bear fruit for God. You see, being joined to Jesus comes with some responsibilities as well. Number one, he wants us to bear fruit. 
Number two, he wants us to serve. And you can see that there at the end of verse six. Look what he says. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of, a level, uh, of the letter. So he says, I want you to serve and I want you to be fruitful. What does it mean to be fruitful? It means to produce fruit. The only way for the Christian to produce fruit, good works, good works for God, is to be connected to God, right? You cut a branch off a vine, it can't produce any fruit. It's dead. We have to be connected to the true vine, and Jesus is the true vine. And when we're connected to the vine, then we can bear fruit for God. Our good works glorify Him. Why? Because your motivation is different. You are no longer doing things because you would like people to look at you and say, hey, look at me. Guess what I did? I went over here and visited this person. I went to the hospital and saw that person. I'm putting together this great program. La-di-da-di-da. No, you're doing it because you love God. And you don't need anybody to know about those things or acknowledge you for those things. You love God. You know, I know so many Christians, they just love to do things in secret. No, don't tell anybody about it. I don't say anything about it. Right? Why? Because they're doing it for God. And God sees the good works that you're doing in heaven. God sees those good works. And we have to be fruitful for God. And we serve God in newness of the Spirit, not the letter of of the law. That's an important point, and I'll close with it. The point Paul's making there is don't hold yourself to a set of standards to which you have already failed. Don't hold yourself to this Old Testament law because you've already proven that you can't do it. What I am asking you to do is to serve in the newness of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God yields fruits of the Spirit. Peace. It's not very peaceful to keep a list and not be able to keep that list, is it? I got this list of things to do. Oh, couldn't get that one. Oh, that just, you carry that to bed with you, right? He's saying, no, I want you to serve, so I give you my fruits of the Spirit. I give you peace. I give you joy. I give you love. I give you these things, and they're going to lead you. They're going to guide you. No longer are you obeying a law written on tablets of stone, but you are obeying the law written on your hearts through your faith in Jesus Christ, through the Spirit of God. Serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Amen. That is Paul's message to the Roman church. Don't burden yourself with these things. The Spirit of God will lead you. You have been joined to Christ. You know, today would be a great day to be saved. Today would be a great day to be saved and to release yourself from all of those things holding you down, all of those things that you have decided on your own to enslave yourself to. All of those things that you have chosen to bring into your life and hold you down. All of those burdens that you have decided, I'm going to put them on my back and I'm going to make these things a part of my daily routine. And in the end, they're going to mean nothing for the glory of God.
Today would be a good day to say bye-bye to those things that carry no eternal value. Just kiss them goodbye and be a good day to be united to Christ and be a good day to get saved. You're going to have an opportunity as we pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that you are so patient with us. Father, today is a great day to be saved. Father, I pray that the heart that you're speaking to now, Father, would yield to your calling, would invite Jesus into their lives, acknowledge their need, acknowledge Jesus as your son, and acknowledge that he died for their sins to acknowledge that he rose again from the dead, thus defeating death and giving anyone who trusts in him eternal life. It's a great day to let go of your burdens. Cast your burdens now at the feet of Jesus. Let him save your everlasting soul. It's the only hope you have. We're all guaranteed to die once, and then comes the judgment. Where will your eternity be? Will it be safe in the arms of Christ? I hope that it is. Make the decision today. We thank you, Lord, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your hymn book to page 511.